Welcome to another episode of Artworks and Therapy. Today's date is August 2nd, 2023. I'm with an incredibly interesting and renowned guest, Bruce Moon. Hey, John, how are you? I'm great. This is so wonderful. Thank you again for doing this. Yeah, my pleasure. You, Sean, Art Robbins, all, all people that I would research and study and just found to be more unique than most clinicians in the field. I say that because your approaches took maybe some risks or they weren't as conservative as maybe some art therapists. Do you feel that way about yourself? I think I know what you mean. Um, when I came into the field, there there really was um, a discernible split, I think, between w- what was called the art psychotherapy movement and the art as therapy movement. And I had the unique experience of being uh, trained, educated by Don Jones, who was one of the founders of the American Art Therapy Association. And 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 clearly, he worked from a psychotherapeutic understanding of things. But if you woke him up in the middle of the night, he'd always say, I'm an artist. And and so we had that, that uh, incredible blend. And I think he infused in me the notion that the the real therapy was in the art process, not in what we were talking about, about the art process. And that sort of uh, connected me with Sean and and his work and and Pat Allen and uh, Art Robbins and others. Yeah, he was a supervisor of yours, as I recall, right? Um, Yeah, correct. He insisted you take journal notes as a part of your clinical notations. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was. That's a. It's a great story. My my very first day with uh, Don Jones at at this uh, Harding Psychiatric Hospital in Columbus, Ohio. I, I was his intern, and on my very first day, he asked me if I'd brought along a sketchbook. Or, and I, in in my naivete, I thought, well, he must want me to take notes and to make clever observations about what I was experiencing. And I said something to that effect to him, and he he laughed and said, no, Bruce, I want you to write poetry and do drawings about how you feel about what you're experiencing here. And uh, and in a lot of ways, I look back at that uh, September 16th, 1974, as the the beginning of what everything else that came after. I know I heard from another colleague that you were just doing more um, guitar kind of storytelling about your experiences from those five decades of working with clients of all kinds of levels of psychosis. You know, I, I spent 22 years working in a psychiatric hospital. And then another 22 in academia. And, and by the time I was done in academia, I was really done. I'd, I'd, I'd had enough of uh, institutional politics and uh, academic politics. And so I really wanted to, uh, to in a sense, uh, walk away from that aspect of, of the work. But the notions or the ideas about the arts as a healing force in the world keep tugging at me and, and kept pulling me back in. And uh, and so what I what I really wanted to do at this point in my life is to, I, I, I think about my whole life as an art piece. And what is what is this iteration of the artwork about? And for me, it's about uh, creating community. 
building meaningful relationships uh, here in Bloomington, Illinois, and uh, and create meaningful relationships with people who are not identified clients, but who nonetheless carry around things that need to be paid attention to uh, in a healthy and healing kind of way. So not calling these these people clients, does that open you up to be able to do more things that are outside of the box, if you will, of what a client relationship would be? Yes. Yes, it does. And it also opens me to have to go outside the box of what the expectations are where I'm doing the work. It was uh, September of 2017. I had been retired from academia for four or five months, and I was spending a lot of time trying to find my way, deciding what was next. And I started attending this open mic uh, experience in at this little dive bar in Libertyville, Illinois, called the Island Tap. And I was playing a lot of music, playing cover music and, and that kind of thing. And, and one night, just on a whim, I decided to play some of my own music. And one of the songs that I had written was about a, a, a man who had been in the Vietnam War and was one of my clients at Harding Hospital. And he was uh, electively mute. And, but he would come into the studio, not say a word, and but he would paint and and he would paint beside me and and so over time a, a relationship was beginning to be established and uh, four or five months in uh, again not having said a word we were we were painting and and uh, side by side and he and he looked at me and and said my name is David after all this time so anyway so I'd written this song about David. This Vietnam vet, I decided I was going to play that. And again, they're used to cover songs. They they want do what diddy and <laughs> hang on sloopy or whatever. <laughs> and and so I play this song about this Vietnam vet who won't talk and and is home had been homeless and living on the streets. And I had a guy with me who was playing uh, playing lead guitar, just jamming, playing lead guitar along with this song. And it turned out that he was a Vietnam veteran, which I had not known uh, prior to that. Anyway, I, I get done with this song. Well, David was a golden boy. And the, and the end of it is the refrain is, my name is David. My name is David, repeated several times. And I look over, and here's this guy, a big, huge guy playing playing lead guitar, and he's got tears running down his cheeks. And there are these two guys who get off their bar stools and stand at attention and salute. And, and it dawned on me, this is this, these people need this. They, they they need this. They need this more than they need do a ditty. And the guy playing electric guitar, or playing lead guitar, he said to me later that night. He said, "You know, you need to you need to do this more often. Quit quit doing all this cover stuff and and do your thing." Wow. And uh, so that's what hard. I've been doing. <laughs> but do you still go to conferences, uh, clinical conferences? ADA, the American Heart Therapy Association, I was always my uh, second lover <laughs> in my entire career. I, I had gone to uh, uh, more than 40 national conferences. And uh, so it was a little bit of a strange situation to to step away from that. 
but uh, but what I have done is has gone to graduate schools and places where they have art therapy programs, and I ha- and I have a number of concerts that I that I do um, for those kinds of places. Uh, in order to demonstrate the work of using art as a way of forming a relationship and, and and instead of talking about using art as a way of forming a relationship, using art to form relationships to demonstrate what we're doing. How are you not a music therapist or how is this not – how are you not going to music uh, therapy schools? <laughs> Well, I, I haven't been invited, one thing. Um, but Sean McNiff, if he's watching this, if he's going to see this, he'll crack up at this because Sean for years told me I was an expressive, not only a visual arts therapist, but an expressive therapist. And and for many years, I, I said, no, 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 Sean, I'm, I'm a visual art therapist. I'm primarily a painter. And uh, that's my thing. But lo and behold, I think maybe he was right all along. Tell me a little bit about what you painted alongside David and what, what did his work look like for those four months? Oh, well, um, what I, what I always tried to do was to use my art as a way of, a, of, of introducing myself and establishing a relationship. So it was not so much necessarily important what I was painting, but that I was painting the subject matter was less important than the process of doing. And now what he would do, he'd come in, he always started by painting whatever he was painting on it, whether it was a canvas or a masonite board, whatever. He always began by painting, painting the whole thing black. Hmm. And then, then he'd start layering other things on top of it. Very abstracted and, 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 and not identifiable subject matter. And again, we never, because even, even after he began to talk a little bit, he was not conversational. Right. So, so I have, I have no idea what it meant to him, but I know it had meaning to him. To add light to something versus to add dark, which is the reverse for many right. people starting with a canvas that's gessoed. And it's interesting what you said about black, because I had a painting professor at Wright State University who always told me the, ma- the most important thing was to get rid of the white as quickly as possible. Starting in the 90s, I believe, was existential art therapy, the canvas mirror, one of your early works? Yeah, well, I, you know, I was... Uh, I first uh, bumped up into existentialism when uh, in the early 70s when I was in seminary. I was in a Methodist seminary for uh, eight years wow. and, um, and did two master's degrees there. And, and as a part of that, got familiar with existential uh, theory and, and theology. And as part of that... Um, hooked into Viktor Frankl's uh, early work, Man's Search for Meaning. And I noticed at the same time, I, the last several years that I was in seminary, I was also working full-time at Harding Hospital with, with Don Jones. And I started seeing the parallels about these f- folks who were in, at, at that point in time, people were in the hospital for nine months or a year. And I would had really had time to form relationships with them where I would see them beginning to struggle with uh, what Frankel called the ultimate concerns of existence and 
and sure. uh, and and finding ways to turn what was painful into something meaningful and and find the beauty in it in addition to the sadness and the pain of or the trauma and so those ideas sort of bounced around in me for a long time and and then uh it actually was was uh, I was have out out to dinner one night with uh, Sister Kathleen Burke, who was the, used to be the uh, director of the Ursuline uh, College program in Cleveland. She and Sean and I were out together uh, at dinner, and I and I said, you know, I've been playing with this idea. Isn't it? 1988? I've been playing with this idea about uh, this notion of existential art therapy. And, and Sister Kathleen slammed her hand down on the on the table and said, "Well, you need to write the book." The canvas mirror being what, like as an art therapist or as a client, what's often shaped as a rectangle, right? That's similar to like a bathroom mirror, maybe. Yes, that that and and Picasso's notion that everything, everything is always a self-portrait. Wow. And I wasn't willing to go that far. I would say that everything is at least a partial self-portrait hmm. or a part of your self-portrait. So it was just that. And I actually started out the when I first uh, pitched the book to Charles C. Thomas, publisher, I, I called it the, the Canvas Mirror Existential Art Therapy. Oh, and they flipped and, it. <laughs> and they, they flipped it and said, no, nah, you, you need to have the, the poetry of that is beautiful, but you want to tell people what the book's about. So I know you have another book, The Role of Metaphor in Art Therapy. Most of my clinical work, especially the inpatient clinical work, people who were at Harding Hospital, whether they were adults or, or the adolescents that I spent a lot of time with, they could not or they would not didn't want to talk about what they had experienced. They And yet they had feelings and things that had happened to them that were mucking up their lives and, and making life pretty difficult. So if they're not going to talk about it, I mean, it, it, and if you think about it in a sense, the very act of coming into a hospital is a dramatic acknowledgement that talking hasn't worked, that, that, logical talk conversation hasn't worked because if it worked they wouldn't be in the hospital right. you know they'd, they'd be seeing a, they'd be seeing a psychiatrist or a psychologist or a social worker or a counselor and they'd be talking things through and not need to be in the hospital so in a sense the the, the very reality of being in the hospital was a dramatic symbol of talking is not enough or has not been enough so if you're not going to talk, then you have to rely on the power of metaphor mm -hmm. that, and that the visual image becomes is metaphorically the mirror of Absolutely. reflecting who you are and, and what, you, what you have going on inside of you. And so then the work is all about how do we engage with that mirror, not relying on logical conversation. And the way to do that is through a poetic response or movement response or musical response. I believe in the work wholeheartedly. Back at that time, was it hard to get other staff members or even some clients to kind of kind of believe that this is a hospital and that's part of the healing process? Well, I was really blessed that that Don Jones was there. Uh, and, and, and Don was the, not only an art therapist, but he was the director of the, what, what they called the adjunctive therapies, which included uh, horticulture therapy and drama um. therapy and music therapy and work therapy and occupational therapy and, and, and poetry therapy. And so he was over this whole 
cadre of at, at our height there were 24 of us in the, in the department with various and sundry disciplines and 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 he had been there long enough and had a well enough established reputation with the the powers that be there that they all got it they they understood that you know yeah. what ta- talking's not enough you know a, a lot of my again a lot of my work was with adolescents who in and adolescent women, young girls who had been physically or sexually abused. And, and the, the beauty of the art process, even though they were often expressing things that were really painful and, and hurtful, the process of expressing it visually feels good. Mm-hmm. So it's a wonderful paradox that even though you're expressing something that's horrible and painful, the process of expressing it feels good. And, and and having somebody be with you, not trying to pick it apart, not trying to tell you, no, you shouldn't feel that way, or you'll get better, blah, blah, all those platitudes that people can come up with. Somebody who just be with you in the midst of that, that's where meaningful relationship comes from. Now, two questions before we take our break. How was it for them to have you, a male, working with them through that trauma? It would vary, of course, but... Uh, but there's something really healthy or healing about having an experience of a man who is only interested in being with you in a in a healthy and caring kind of way. I mean, you, know, the, the, you know, the root word of therapy is therapeutic. The Greek root is therapeuticus, which basically best is translated into English as to attend to, to, to have somebody att- pay attention, to attend to you through the art process and uh, and only be doing that for your betterment. Our listeners are going to hear you uh, maybe tell uh, a story through a song. Cold wind against the window Snow drifts on along Tracy's Signs a picture, yeah, Tracy's moving on. She's flying out to Tucson. Her father sits in jail. Her mother does not want her. Yeah, Tracy looks so frail. He said, My daddy didn't mean it. And her heart is filled with shame And she tells me she deserved it Now nothing else remains No love can be so good Love can be so bad The bandages upon her wrist Made Tracy look so sad told me art is like breathing it's how I survive yes art is just like breathing paint keeps me alive well she looks around the studio and all the things she's made and she almost speaks to me Trying to be brave I said, Tracy, you did nothing wrong 
This was not your fault Tracy, you did nothing wrong This was not your fault She says art is like breathing That's how I survive Yes, art is just like breathing Paint keeps me alive I said this was not your fault This was not your fault this was not your fault. Really yeah. great. Really well, thank great. you. Tracy was an old client. Yeah, she was a, a kid who had been abused by her father, and uh, actually, she and her sister both. And uh, he had been convicted, was in jail, and uh, amazingly enough, her mother blamed her for the father being incarcerated and mom wanted nothing to do with her anymore. So she had uh, attempted suicide before she came into the hospital and did a lot of really evocative, provocative images about that. These stories, these songs, are they also somehow a way for you to heal from having absorbed some of that trauma? Oh, that well, that, yeah, that's right. I want I want to use my art as a way to honor those folks, people that I have worked with, people that I have been in relationship with, and at the same time, it, it it's a way to you can't you can't sit in the company of of people like Tracy and always just take that stuff in and leave it inside of yourself, or it becomes emotionally cancerous. So. For me, I've always had to do make my own art in response to that, and by virtue of that, I, you know, I I, I always tell people I never had a bad day as an art therapist. I, I had some tough days, but I never had one where I where I felt like giving up or where I felt burnt out because I I always use the the material as as the source material for my own art, um, both to take care of myself and also to. I, I hope and I think to honor the struggles that uh, my clients went through. I, too, worked in uh, psychiatric wards starting out. You know, you absorb a lot of uh, toxicity, just innately absorb some of the psychosis, I think, right. <laughs> you know. But it's also we're lucky, right, because when we get to go outside the locked doors, we know we're we have this freedom where we can kind of cleanse and shake it off. But your work, it almost feels like there's something haunted about it still that you're maybe working out um hmm. there's something that i carry with me of uh, pieces of people that i will cherish that i will carry with me my whole life i get a really strong sense from your music the way you your tone it's got it reminds me of like some of uh, rick rubin's production of johnny cash and his later work where it's just this kind of really simple, just guttural kind of uh, almost talking, but soft-spoken, but yet a grunge to it. Yeah. Talking about stories and people and things and traumas. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and I I can do some funny stuff too, but because oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, God knows there are lots of funny stories that came oh. from came from those encounters too. Because a, a whole relationship is not all about pain; it's it's all about other things also. <laughs> and so if you're going to have a genuine relationship with people, then it has to go the whole whole spectrum. Um, yeah, I, th- I think about uh, a time that there was this. Uh, uh, man who was really struggled with uh, delusional psychotic thinking about he was possessed by uh, demons and aliens from another land called the called Thurasia and uh, and the Thurasians one day made him drop a, uh, a five gallon can or jar of gesso and and so there's white stuff spreading all over the floor and it's all and it's splattered up all over my blue jeans and and at some point he's he said oh damn 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 don't send me back don't send me back. i said i'm not going to send you back we're going to clean this up <laughs> and and so he and i got down on the floor with paper towels and tried to slurp as much of that back into the gesso uh, container as we could my relatively new jeans were covered in white and uh, it was just one of those kind of things where you kind of look at it and go yeah nobody believed this if you told them that this story but uh yeah but it was it was fun i mean there there was an element of fun involved in it i mean granted he was scared at the beginning but but as we started cleaning up um it's it's that doing together that binds a relationship the the essence of it is trying to honor what what people brought to to the yeah. studio i i did my my uh, phd work um rather than write a traditional uh, dissertation what i convinced my committee to let me do was to write a musical about my encounters in the studio with the three clients and the in, the interactions that we had there and 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 along the way, I discovered the whole notion of destigmatization and and what Randy Vick called valorization of of the the courage and the beauty of uh, of folks who are struggling with issues. And and so I I want the work. I hope that every time somebody hears it, they go, oh oh the there was something important going on between those people. I was lucky that that the place that i worked got it at at harding hospital it was a it was a very tradition in a sense a very traditional psychoanalytic institution at the same time they really understood the value of milieu of what what was what don always referred to as milieu therapy mm-hmm. that the that the environment it, we take care of the environment the environment takes care of the client and, and and in the art studio, I take care of the studio. I hold the studio. The studio takes care of the client. And and so, it, for me, it was this notion of when the client comes into the art studio, they're coming into my world, and and my world has paint on the pa- on my pants and has splatters <laughs> on my hands and uh, there's paint underneath my fingernails. And so, in that sense, I d- I didn't have to didn't have to struggle so much with the, the their interrelationship with with colleagues because they they got it they they didn't want me pretending to be a psychiatrist uh, or a psychotherapist they and 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 they let me be who I was and they and I was again lucky enough that they saw the value of that 
And we'd, we'd have, every now and then, we'd have an art show, and they would come to the art show. It was all part of a living institution, which was geared toward paying attention to people. If, if I have any concerns about about my profession at this point in 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 time, it is that uh, while I understand the it, it's important to licensure is important and credentialing is important, and all those things are necessary. Um, there's a I think there's a real risk in 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 diluting our identity as artist therapists that I'm, I'm still not sure how to resolve. Your name, uh, Moon, I mean, it, that's real? It almost seems made up. <laughs> the familial, uh, the family legend was that my, my father, who was uh, uh, from San Antonio, Texas area, was uh, somehow connected with uh, the Arapaho Indian tribe. Most of my heritage is Irish. And it just so happens that when uh, you know Kathy and I visited Ireland uh, not too long in nineteen in, in twenty nineteen, and there were a number of moon pubs and moon bars and that kind of moon sign. So, so I suspect that it has more to do with the Irish background than the than the Indian background. You know, my dad passed away when I was a toddler. And I was the only boy in the family, and I and I translated that into being pretty, like I said, a pretty driven person. So a lot of it was uh, like pathologically driven to to achieve and to to do that stuff. My, you know, the last name Moon. Uh, you know, it's tempting to kind of think about uh, well, an astronaut, or <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking of George Millais, a trip to the moon. How can our listeners, clinicians, fans listen to more of your, see more of you, hear more of you? I have 16 albums on uh, Spotify and Pandora and Apple Music and and all those other streaming services, and uh, there are a couple hundred videos on youtube and so there's there's plenty of opportunities <laughs> is it is it would they look up bruce l moon i know you yeah. go about that okay and what was the l stand for do you mind me asking? lee lee I, I was bruce lee long before bruce lee <laughs> bruce i i want to tell you again you know how how excited i was to have this chance to talk with you um my most, mostly my fantasy of you being in there was what allowed me to be and feel so free in my practice with my client. Thank you. I'm, I am t- both touched and honored. That's uh, very nice. I was thinking about what you just said that, you know, really, we, we, as art therapists, we have two primary tools. One, one is the art process and the other is ourselves. And, and we ought to use them both. Yeah. Now, the faith in the product in that um, book that you have, we mostly hear about the process, the process, process. And what, why did you use the word product in that title? Oh, wow. Now, now you're oh, going no, another, no. Are we back? another half hour here. Uh, well, when I wrote that, yes, the, 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 the 95% of what you read about uh, or heard about it at conferences was the art process, process, process. And all that was important, but, there, but that there was something to be said for the quality of the work. And you made a point to say that you guys had regular uh, – community art shows and right. hospital art shows. So that's another way to kind of present and, and to show that in that forum. I'm glad that this happened. Um, please stay in touch. I'm, I'm based in New York. If you're ever out this way, you and Kathy. John, it's been a real pleasure. Whoever <laughs> hears it, do good work. Go do yeah. good work. 
Okay. Well, and that's been another episode of Artworks and Therapy. And art works, it really does, in therapy. Proof with Mr. Bruce Moon as our guest. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs>